Hi everyone, welcome to the second episode of Time Extend Racing Game Podcast. My name is Adam Ismail and I'm here with... Uh, Brendan Rorison, and today we'll be looking at a range of game news topics and also a feature topic at the end. Right, and our first episode was very heavily focused on arcade games and retro games, uh, but, but this couldn't be farther from that, because uh, we'll start right off the top with the news. Uh, La Gran Turismo Sport news in the past two weeks and some forts are thrown in as well, and iRacing of all things. But we'll start with Gran Turismo. A couple days ago, we got the 1.11 update, which came with a selection of cars, a new track in the form of Monza, a few new configurations of the Lake Maggiore circuit, and new GT League events. And I think that this update basically, you know, continues the theme that, that kicked off with the first major update, that we're going to see, you know, maybe like 9 to 10 cars and a new track here and there, new configurations, and they're not really going to stray too much from that. In the form of the GT League events we got, there were three. Um, one, one was a Raptor, Ford Raptor event, the other one was a Ferrari focus event, and then a Japanese sports car event. Oh, there was also the Group 3 Endurance Series as well, so there were actually four events. But something I think that is uh, important to note about this update is the selection of cars. We got a Dodge Viper from 2002, the 67 Ferrari 330p4, the 66 Jaguar XJ13, so the two old Le Mans cars that we got in GT5 and GT6, uh, the 064 GT, the 76 Ferrari 512BB, the Diablo GT, McLaren F1, Toyota 2000 GT, Toyota FT1, and Supra RZ. Those are a lot of old cars. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When I seen the initial list, it seemed like a kind of a Gran Turismo 3 All-Stars featuring some GT5 favourites as well. Just when you seen the, the Dodge Viper in there and the a premium Toyota Supra RS. Can you believe it? We finally got one in Gran Turismo. Yeah, we can really stop the conversation right there and move on because the Supra RZ is really what <laughs> yeah. anyone cares about. After so long, you know, of waiting for a premium Supra in GT5 and GT6 and they never gave it to us for some strange reason, even though it's one of the hallmarks of the series, we finally get one now. It's sublime to drive. But for me, kind of the issue is, is that this is really the only new car in this package. Uh, the rest of these cars all appear in previous Gran Turismo games, which is, is fine. I think Polyphony is trying to make it on the fact that GT Sport launched with a very uh, a very current and very newish focused car roster, and they're trying to bring it back to the older cars, which I definitely appreciate, but I'd like to see more originality here instead of the premiums that we've already had access to for 10 years. Yeah, definitely. I do agree with that. I mean, when I took the, the new Supra out for a run on the, the Monza course, I don't know why, but it just felt more distinctly like a Gran Turismo game at that point. All these older cars are just pretty much hallmarks of the series at this point, so getting them in sport is great, but I know what you mean, it isn't really much in terms of new content. I mean, even the two Le Mans racers are really cool, but what will they add in terms of what GT Sport is? Not too much. So I think it's a bit more fan service from Polyphony getting the ball rolling before they hopefully start looking at more sport-inspired updates as well. Right, and we can't deny that these are also fan favorites too, you know. Yeah. They might be cars that we've seen before, but 
obviously no one's going to complain about the Supra. Uh, no one is going to complain about the old Viper, especially the McLaren F1. I, I think there's a bit of an issue in the form of the Le Mans cars that are there, you know, the Ferrari and the Jaguar are people very very quickly discover their 20 million credits. Oof, yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Which means there's going to be a lot of grinding. There's going to be a lot of grinding. <laughs> yeah, and with the 20 million credit cars topic, I don't want to bog the podcast down, but I understand why they're there and understand why they're so expensive, but I don't think sport has a, a meaningful enough way of earning credits yet to justify them being that expensive. Like in older games, I accepted the fact some cars playing out couldn't be purchased because that was the way the game was designed. But I mean, I've played the uh, GT Sport for about 55 hours so far and earned 8 million credits. So I couldn't even ask to have half of one of those cars as it stands. So maybe it's a bit of jealousy on my part, but I'd like to see Polyphony find a way of giving us a, a, a better way to earn credits that doesn't break the economy because I think that's the juggling act we've got here. Got a heavily focused online racing game with cars that cost the most expensive in the game but aren't actually used in the mainstream for sport mode and that type of thing. Yeah, and, you know, I I don't have a problem with these cars being more expensive and being on that, like, you know, pedestal. But I do have an issue if the economy isn't built to support these cars. And that's, that is a delicate balance that, as you say, they have to negotiate, you know. 10 million credits probably would have been fine. Why we need to go to 20, I'm not really sure. And the other thing is that I don't think these cars justify it. You know, as we're saying, we've had access to them for a while. And I don't know, they're just kind of old hat at this point, I guess. And you can drive, uh, the 330 has appeared in uh, Forza and has appeared in other games too. So I don't know. If it was something a little more exclusive... You know, it, if it was a 917, for example, which obviously has appeared in many other racing games at this point, but it's new to Gran Turismo, uh, and obviously a 917 is a legendary car, I feel like it would have gone down differently. Yeah, definitely. For a lot of people, these cars are old hats, so nobody's going to be rushing out to try them. What I'm interested in, though, is the two Le Mans racers that seems like the four GT40 Mark IV was dropped from GT5. Because I always remember in that game, there was those three racers, the Jaguar, the Ferrari, and the Ford, and they were used prominently in promotional materials, but the Ford mm-hmm. seems to be either dropped or coming at a later date. It was just funny because like Polyphony put out some screenshots showing the content, and no joke, they've got a screenshot in the exact same layout as the original one that showed the Ford, Jaguar, and Ferrari, but this time it's the the Jaguar, Ferrari, and the 512BB. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious because they put out a tweet that said, where are you driving this weekend? And I said, well, not much of a choice, is there? <laughs> so. Well, unless you've got 20 million credits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, you know, the cars are what they are. The, the tracks, I think no one will complain about the new Maggiore configurations because, at least in my opinion, that is the best new original track that they've they've put in Gran Turismo Sport. Dragon Trail is very good as well, but Maggiore, I think, just... I, I find Maggiore to be just perfect. Uh, and if you can divide it up between these individual segments that are smaller, it makes that track more conducive to, to lower power races and slower cars as well. So, I love seeing Maggiore there. Monza... I, I posed a question on Twitter last week. Does anyone really like Monza? Like, let's be honest. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's a historical circuit, which is the go-to term for trying to make it sound relevant. <laughs> yeah, um, that's pretty much yeah. what it comes down to is a history, right? Exactly. It, it's a pretty it's a pretty boring track, but I'd like to stress the pretty part because in GT Sport it looks fantastic. But yeah, I mean. The actual racing on it has never been really been that exciting in a video game form. I mean, imagine I imagine going those speeds in real life is terrifying on those straights. But in a game like Gran Turismo that doesn't really prioritise the sense of speed that much, it's just pretty much, if it ever gets used in sport mode races, us praying and hoping that nobody crashes us out on those big straights, because let's be honest, that's where most of the, you find most of the dicks in the game. You're going yeah. fast like that. It's not the kind of track that's going to prioritize very slow and methodical and careful driving in racecraft. Yeah. You're gonna, yeah, you're gonna run into some punters. But that's pretty much the update in a nutshell. I did want to move on quickly. Well, right before we get off the of GT Sport, uh, some breaking news. Pretty much at the time that we're recording this is that there was recently a interview with Kazunori Yamuchi that emerged from the Taipei Games Show uh, from. A Japanese outlet, uh, Game Watch, and as as usual in these interviews, you know, Kaz was very uh, tempered and just you know didn't I won't say you know straight out vague, but he was careful about the way he presented you know what Polyphony's working on in the future as he always is. Uh, we have some mentions of GT7 in there. I think it's interesting that after saying like, oh, well, GT Sport may as well be GT7, he's kind of walked that back and said like, oh, you can look for that feature in GT7. <laughs> you know, you can look for yeah. the, the GT7. We're always working on the next thing, and the, that next thing seems to be GT7. So maybe Sport is more of a stopgap than he led on in the beginning? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, we know the way Kazunori tends to talk about the Gran Turismo games that he brings out. He's very proud of every one of his team's achievements so in one way I'm not surprised that he was trying to to paint it initially as Gran Turismo 7 but I'm sure him and his team have a lot of ideas they'd love to implement in a less structured environment as well like um, I believe cosmetic customization, for example doesn't look as if that will come to sport but you can imagine in GT7 that's something that the team might want to to look quite heavily into because they've got a more structure free environment more traditional game like game you could say Right, and that's the main thing that the customization is the main thing that kind of tipped off the, the GT Sport versus GT7 conversation because they asked him a question like, can users, can gamers expect that? And he was like, that's more of a GT7 feature. The next the next main entry in the franchise will probably deliver on that. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not surprised to see that. You know, we'll get a lot more. We'll get cars that we maybe don't expect and we'll get tracks that we maybe don't expect, but that's a whole facet of gameplay that, I think GT Sport made very clear off the bat we're not going to see. Yeah. The thing that is most interesting to me is that they asked him a question about Tourist Trophy, and it's it's really difficult to get a handle on what exactly Kaz said because we don't have an accurate translation at this time because right. the entire interview was conducted in Japanese. Also, Dual Dual Shockers put out a report on it, but even their report isn't you know translated in the best possible way. So it seems like, from what I can tell, from a combination of that article and also Google Translate, <laughs> that Kaz is very much aware of the desire for a new tourist trophy. He's thinking about it, but they're not necessarily working on it. Which, I mean, that's something that we've been hearing pretty much that story we've heard since the Gran Turismo 5 days, GT6 even. 
Yeah, I mean, it's some outlets might run it as soft confirmation of Tourist Trophy existing in some form or another, but we, we know the way Kaz works. He's very... He doesn't like shutting doors, put it that way. So the fact that he keeps saying that Tourist Trophy is on his mind gives us hope that one day it might happen. But with these lengthy um, production cycles that we're dealing with now, I mean, maybe it's more likely that the bikes could show up in a GT7 at some point down the line or something like that because a full game on Polyphony Shoulders isn't the Gran Turismo franchise would probably take up a lot of time and I think it would still sell well but maybe Sony wouldn't be on board with the project I feel like that's the answer if, if they're going to get bikes into Gran Turismo in a way or, or rather if they're going to release a bike game the best way to do it would be to put bikes in Gran Turismo because Kaz keeps saying you know, we, we've heard for 20 years that the second that work on the current GT game ends, he moves on to the next one. Well, if you're going GT1, GT2, GT... There's not much room in there for Tourist Trophy, is there? Exactly. <laughs> so... <laughs> you could just I, do I personally would Club love to did, see it. Basically. Hmm? Like what Drive Club did with Drive Club Bikes, even though the name right. doesn't really lend itself to a bikes expansion being called Drive Club. Is their work with that expansion and having that is like a separate experience almost from within the game. So who knows? Maybe by the time Gran Turismo Seven releases, we might get something similar. Yeah, I think that would be the best way for them to do it. So that's pretty much the Gran Turismo news. Uh, we'll quickly mention we record these every two weeks, so this one goes back a little while. But if we're going to talk about GT Sports update, we may as well talk about Forza Seven's DLC, which uh, came out around two weeks ago, almost two weeks ago. Uh, it is the Totino's car pack, which I put in our podcast note. Totino's, really? Do you guys have to, uh, Totino's in Scotland, Brendan? They do not. Um, I only know them from memes, basically. <laughs> yeah. They're they're these, you know, they're pizza rolls. They're basically like mini calzones. Right. They, they have, like, you know, sauce and cheese and everything in there. And I mean, they're tasty, but they're also, like, one of those things, if you eat too many of them, it just it builds and it just all starts to taste like plastic ah so for some reason a natural fit for a Forza car pack then <laughs> we'll not we'll not question their logic behind it but um I guess racing drivers like Platinos <laughs> well you know maybe it's that it's really hard to eat pizza behind the wheel but Totinos are compact uh, and you know yeah. easier to just grasp and pop in your mouth they're also incredibly I mean if you have one and they're really hot they'll just burn your mouth because all of the heat is trapped within so we'll be starting another podcast all about Totinos pizza rolls in the future <laughs> but right now we're going to focus on this one so the cars in this update, or in this DLC rather, we got the number 24 BMW M6, uh, the GTLM car from Ray Hall Lehrman Racing. We got the Citroen 2CV, the Ooh. Lotus Elise GT1, the Nissan R382, 93 Porsche 911 Turbo S, the Subaru 360, and the Volkswagen Type 3 1600. Now... This is a typical Forza DLC, I guess, in the form of all of these cars are very different. Oh, and yeah. they kind of... Yeah. It seems like Turn 10 likes to just hit every single, you know, basically strata of what a Forza gamer would want. Although, I have noticed that there is not an American car in this pack. Ah. Which is interesting. Well noticed. They usually throw... Yeah. yeah, they usually throw a little muscle in there, <laughs> um, just, just for people who want that... But I also, 
have to give them credit because they always manage to find a way of of throwing in these cars that other games don't have that I find very special and I should have done a little bit more research because unfortunately I haven't played the Forza game since Forza 6 and I didn't really buy the DLC that much uh, when I had Forza 6 so I'm not exactly sure if these cars were in the game or not or were in the previous Forza but I really appreciate the Elise GT1 in there and I think the R380 is really interesting because we know about Nissan's other LMP cars, uh, their other Le Mans cars rather, but uh, going back to 1967 for this prototype that I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware of is pretty cool. And I like that they just keep digging up cars like that to throw into Forza. Yeah, it, it reminds me of why we, we know most of these old LMP cars in the first place, Gran Turismo, having them as part of the car roster and if Forza wants to continue that lineage by introducing even more unique cars that might have got left and left behind during the, the recent games, then I'm all for it. Even things like the Citroen 2 CV. I mean, I'm sure it'll annoy some people that it isn't the latest hypercar, but I mean, first and foremost, Forza still wants to be that car PG type game that Gran Turismo used to be before Sport, so... I'm all for these inclusions, but if you bought the the car pass hoping for a bunch of new hyper cars, then I guess you're entitled to be a bit annoyed. Yeah, and as much as I enjoy those two cars, the Elise GT1 is huge for me because I remember that car from, uh, I believe it was Need for Speed 2, and it used to appear in a lot of those old you know Need for Speed style games, arcade racers, and so that's a car I always enjoyed. But yeah, I really don't understand why developers keep putting cars like the 2CV and the Subaru 360 in these games like it just from from an efficiency standpoint or from the standpoint of like oh you know they're working on cars that gamers actually want or that you know they'll actually get some sort of 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 use and play out of especially online I just don't see it you know I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of 2CV or 360 one-make races online, and the ones that are there, you know, those cars, I'm all for, like, slow cars and, and just doing, like, really quick, fun races. Like, Gran Turismo Sport has had a couple, you know, like, BMW i3 events around, yep. like, the the East version of Suzuka, and that's great, and that's fun. But these cars are, are considerably slower than that. So, that's crossing yeah, the line, I, mean... I think. Putting in a premium DLC pack is maybe a no-no. I mean, like you said, the, the actual use these cars will see probably isn't that much. I like having them in the game, but I'm not sure that putting it in a pack with cars like the, the Lotus Elite GT1, for example, is the best way to do it. Because although it makes it a variety, it's still at least two cars most people probably won't drive. Yeah. And I should also add that the... Uh, Detroit Auto Show was at the beginning of January, and so to coincide with that, uh, Turn 10 gave us the 2019 Veloster Turbo and Veloster N. And I wanted to throw this in there because, um, actually, I have a friend who, who owns a Veloster Turbo, and he's very excited about the Veloster N. The Veloster N actually looks like a pretty nice car. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things that Hyundai has has had these end models or they've they've started to release these end models in other parts of the world but we haven't gotten any of them in the u.s yet uh i believe there's the i30n in europe yes, we don't get yep. that car but we will get the veloster n and it looks pretty good so 
that's a, a freebie that we can all enjoy. Yeah, it's good as well. I like those type of tie-ins. I mean, it doesn't really suit GT Sports Mantra to go for those types of thing anymore, so I'm glad to see Forza maybe picking up that mantle and introducing some new cars as they're revealed. Right, and who's going to complain about free cars, especially exactly. free brand new cars? Yep. So the final news topic that I want to talk about this week uh, is some interesting iRacing news. They have announced that uh, iRacing will get AI competitors and a single-player mode in 2018. Now, if you know anything about iRacing, this is going to be, or this is a, a shock to the system. This is not something that I think iRacing gamers or iRacing players because it's it's probably the least the simulator you can least describe as a game because of how serious it is. I, I don't think it's something that they were ready for, but I just want to read off a quote from the company. Sure. Having this feature will allow for many opportunities for members and for us to continue to grow. It will allow members to part to practice in a simulated setting before getting on track with real cars, which is a good thing, especially for people new to sim racing. It will also allow for a more relaxed and fun format, which will be a welcome addition from time to time, even for hardcore members. Now you don't need to go to another racing game for AI. It will bring in many new members who will use it as a stepping stone to head for head-to-head -head racing. It allows us to have a much more competitive demo option for potential new customers in various settings like trade shows or even online trials. Now, I don't think you can really argue with many of the points they make there. Uh, iRacing is a very serious simulator and most of the racing happens I mean pretty much right now until they release this update all of the racing happens between players online between actual users racecraft is very important it's more yeah. important than iRacing probably probably any other sim so I totally get the value of practicing against the AI to build your racecraft so that you don't make a fool of yourself online or take out other racers yeah, I think um, the concept is sound. Um, it's good to have that AI in there for the reasons you've mentioned. It just makes me wonder, though, if people will start becoming reluctant to race online until they feel like they're absolutely perfect with their racecraft. And that kind of defeats the learning purpose of iRacing at the same time. Because it's not like it's a £40 purchase that most sims, where you just pay for it and that's it. iRacing is like a subscription-based service, so... I mean, how, what is the likelihood that somebody who's willing to pay a subscription fee will just want to race offline to get their bearings together? I'm, I'm willing to bet that the beginner events and stuff they host would be a better place to learn in a real environment. But at the same time, it's good that the, the option's going to be there. It's not something I think that any of us seen coming, that they would add AI to iRacing, so fair play for them to, to make that kind of jump. Yeah, and I have some experience with iRacing. I played iRacing a couple years ago, and fortunately at the time it was a game that you could run on any computer, even like a, a MacBook Pro, which is what I had, which is not at all a gaming system. I think if there was an online, or rather if there was a single player in AI mode, I would have taken a much longer time to get online. Let's be honest, the iRacing community takes stuff like that more seriously. You're going to everyone pays for this uh for the simulator if you if you don't know just to give a little bit of background uh iRacing is a PC sim that has a uh yearly subscription model as you say and also it up until recently i i believe they're working on like a a local interface but the entire thing is conducted through your through your browser and from there you set up 
practice events or you go into scheduled races, it is very much, you know, imagine sport mode in Gran Turismo and that's it, you know, and there's no sense of progression or anything like that. It is, you go online and you race. You can pick any car that you've purchased or any track. And by the way, cars and tracks you have to pay for individually in iRacing. You get a certain amount when you join, but most of them you have to pay for and they cost, you know, anywhere from like, 7 to $12, for example, a pop. So this is a massive investment for people. Yes. And because of that, it's something that, that gets taken very seriously. So there's pros and cons to this. I think the career mode is interesting because while I can see iRacing players getting behind the ability of practice and stuff in single player, I really think the career mode, which in this case they say is just going to be the ability to schedule races for yourself, you know, AI races uh, in succession. It just seems like window dressing. I don't really think the audience is going to want that. And I, I don't really think it's something that's going to attract a lot of new players. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you consider that subscription model, we have to pay for cars and tracks separate. I mean, there'll be a lot of people who actually just literally buy one class of cars and the tracks that those happen to race on in the online events. So... What does the career mode do for those types of players? Not very much. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea. But like you said, I think it's window dressing just to have that option tucked neatly in the features column when you're considering a subscription. But I don't think it's going to be anything groundbreaking. Yeah, and I think it's also critical to note where iRacing is at this time. Uh, I'm talk- I was talking to one of my friends who uh, is a subscriber, and it's been a while since I played it. But he was telling me it's really exploded in the dirt track community, right? which makes so much sense because iRacing has always supported that from the beginning. Yeah. And uh, it does it, it handles dirt track racing better than any other game. And partially that's because iRacing is a very sophisticated simulator and it works very well. But that's also because dirt, r- dirt track racing isn't done by any other game. A lot of people, especially where, where I live uh, in the Northeast, dirt track racing is actually kind of a big part of you know the local community, and it's, it's an event, and lots of people participate. It's a grassroots thing. And if you want to you know, be able to enjoy that digitally as we enjoy our sports car racing or our Formula One or Le Mans or NASCAR, whatever, there's nowhere for you to go. And there really never has been anywhere for you to go. But now iRacing is the first game to really deliver, uh, you know, the sim racing experience for people who enjoy dirt track. And that's great. So it'll probably be a big uh, win with that audience. Yeah, and iRacing is pretty much the agreed upon premium racing sim experience so it's good in a way that the the option that dirt track enthusiasts do have is arguably one of the best yeah yes that pretty much covers the news for this week and with that we can move on to our feature topic So this week for our feature topic, we are going to be talking about something uh, quite different from our discussion last week about our favorite rally games. We are going to be talking about 
basically our online racing history, uh, how we enjoy online racing today, and where we think it's going in the future. What did we play growing up? What sticks out in our minds as a fun or great experience? I wanted to talk about this because you look at GT Sport and the conversation that surrounded GT Sport when the game came out, or, or well before the game came out, and there were a lot of people who couldn't wrap their heads around it who wanted the car PG experience, I guess. And this was the first Gran Turismo game that wasn't going to deliver on that, was focusing more on the online aspect. But you also have people who are kind of sick and tired of the car PG experience. And I think if you've played a Forza Motorsport game in recent years, those are no one will deny the quality and the love, care, and attention that Turn 10 puts into those games. But I feel like we are kind of all getting a little bit tired of that progression. And it's human nature to kind of stick with what we know and not venture outside of it. But the second something arrives to challenge our expectations and challenge what we look for in the game and make us do something outside of our comfort zone, it usually is effective. I mean, I've enjoyed sport mode races more than I thought I would. And that's something I think we'll talk about more towards the end. But, you know, we were talking about iRacing in the news. iRacing was a brand new thing when I played it. And I had never played a game that was so intently focused on, on online racing above anything else that was the only thing you can do. So I think there's always kind of this push and pull between the market, what we want and what we end up getting and what our expectations are. I think online racing is at the center of all of that. Yeah, I do agree with that as well. Especially regarding online racing, because I like yourself. When it came to online racing and games, I wasn't overly enthusiastic about it because I've had a mix of experiences, which we can talk about. But sometimes somebody just has to rip the band-aid off, basically, and say, you're going to have to learn to race online. And GT Sport has done that, and so far it's been a positive experience for me. Yeah, and I'd have to agree. But... I guess to kick it off, we'll just start talking about what we played growing up and, and what our first online experiences are. And mine's mine's a very strange one because I remember, I guess I was eight years old, and which is ridiculous, but we had the Dreamcast. My brother had the Dreamcast, and he paid for SegaNet, which was the Dreamcast online service that allowed you to... Uh, play games online, the few games that were supported on the Dreamcast over a dial-up modem, which is ridiculous that it even supported that. <laughs> it, there was an optional broadband adapter for the Dreamcast, but that cost a lot of money and nobody had broadband back in 2001. So we had our dial-up service and we were able to play SegaNet and Daytona USA 2001. I believe that was the only... That was the only racing game on the Dreamcast that supported online in such a way that you could race against other players. Most of the online component of Dreamcast games had to do with leaderboards and stuff because obviously networks really couldn't support it and developers weren't really keen to give it to you. But Daytona 2001 did have that feature. It, it also came out right at the end of the Dreamcast lifespan, so it was pretty late in the running too. But... Uh, yeah, I played that game. I, I probably didn't play it online much because I had to ask my brother to go online, and I, you know, I have to do it. And it probably, when we were online, I guess we couldn't use a phone or something. I'm, I'm trying to think back to the way internet used to work back then. It was just a such a frustrating experience. Yeah, I remember going online and just making an absolute fool of myself because I didn't know how to play anything. 
back in the day, and I, I didn't know how to especially race against real people without just completely barreling into them. And I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think I wanted to, to hit people and punt people and stuff like that, but I didn't know how not to. Yeah. And Daytona 2000, Daytona 2001's handling model is difficult even if you're a 24-year-old adult. So <laughs> that didn't make the experience much easier. And I remember they, they had this rudimentary like text chat system. And uh, some guy's like, you know, you should really use the brakes. And as a kid, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, thanks. I was actually like surprisingly like not, not an asshole about it. I was like... Thanks for the for the feedback. I'll try to remember to do that in the future. And, <laughs> and that's your mantra now. You're playing GT Sport Online. That one guy on Daytona USA that inspired you. <laughs> yeah, inspired me to be a better racer and, and hone my racecraft. Uh, so that's pretty much where it started for me. And then after that, uh, I, I dabbled in Forza. But I'll, I'll let you talk, Brendan, before I go off into my own tangents. I just have a one question for you then, Adam. How busy was the online in a game like Daytona on Sega Net? Because the Dreamcast wasn't a very popular console, and I imagine not many people took the effort to set it up. So do you remember like how busy the online would actually be? Like I said, I was really young, and I probably yeah. didn't even play it more than like three times online, but it sticks out in my memory because it's the first online racing experience I ever had. The first online gaming experience I ever had. And... I think it was, I'm going to assume it was one of those situations where not many people had Dreamcast, even fewer people had Sega Net, although Sega was at one point basically giving you a Dreamcast for free if you signed up for Sega Net. That was like the, that was at when they were absolutely at their worst and they were at death's door uh, in terms of being a hardware manufacturer. Yeah. So I'm going to assume that you had a very small but very vocal and very passionate group of fans who got Daytona USA had a Sega Net, and basically, you know, you would have the same maybe 20 people online doing races all yeah, day. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to assume that was the case. I don't actually know. But I, I didn't spend much time doing it because I was bad, and <laughs> we didn't really have the resources for me to be online all day gaming anyway. <laughs> and, and even besides that, like, it worked over a dial-up modem, and it... All things considered, it worked pretty well, but you did get cars jumping around a lot. That's something I do remember. So it was very difficult to predict where you would end up and, and where they would end up and whether or not you would somebody would warp into your car, basically, and cause all sorts of mayhem. As I said, Daytona USA 2001 already wasn't a very easy-to-drive to game. Yeah. So it's kind of the, you know, the, the bastard child of the series. <laughs> But that's where it all started for me. Yep, well, that's interesting. Um, I guess I'll take it from here then and fling off of my first experience. So basically, mine was actually on the Nintendo DS playing Mario Kart DS online. And that was my first experience playing it online completely. And I, it just blew my mind basically that this little handheld was capable of playing games online. And the way Mario Kart DS worked was it was some epic four-player races in total, so there's only four people per race, but what was really interesting about it was, before every race, you could show like a user-drawn like icon, and I always remember how some people had like, these really well-detailed things, and mine was like a crappy son, or something like that. <laughs> and, um, Nintendo loved doing stuff like that, like yeah, with, um, they really do. with the Wii U and the Miiverse and everything, they love it when people can draw their own stuff and share it. 
And it was really cool at the time. Like, it was such a small detail, but even today, sometimes I think about it and I'm like, the Switch is a touchscreen. It would be cool if we could to design our own icons again because it was something that really stood out when you get matched with people because you would look at it and if they did a really really well detailed icon you knew that they took the game very seriously so I was like I'm probably going to get beat here um, and the actual racing experience was remarkably smooth from what I remember um, considering it was on a handheld and the, the Wi-Fi card at the time wouldn't have been anything special and it was it was some great racing online even with four players I mean, inevitably, there was a technique called snaking that became yep. very popular on Mario Kart DS, where you would power up your drift from one side to the other and basically just completely annihilate other players because of the speed gains. And that kind of ruined the experience. But at the same time, because it was my um, inaugural <laughs> debut on online racing, it didn't annoy me as much back then because it was the, the novel concept of playing other players from across the world. Well, the Mario... And yeah, it was... Sorry. <laughs> No, on you go. I was gonna say the Mario Kart pros would say that you are wrong and bad if you don't, you know, try the snake and just and just do it like the rest of them do. Oh, of course, Mario Kart is serious business. You shouldn't be having fun. You should be trying to win the races. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was really cool. And then in terms of console gaming, my first racing experience was you're probably going to punch me for this Sega Rally Revo again yep. not to bring it up two podcasts yep. in a row but um, I hadn't really played many online games before I got my Playstation 3 and that was one of the games that came with it at the time and that was actually very similar to how you described Daytona it was basically like a group of 30 or 20 people who always raced online so it was great because there was a little community there and we were all very uh we were all very good friends by the, the end of racing with each other and it was just funny because the text chat was like the main way of communicating on the game but I had this horrendous filter that was so picky mm-hmm. if you tried to say congratulations it would censor the first three letters what, what? So, what expletive is in congratulations I don't con apparently I, con <laughs> what that's not a bad word but oh yeah, I think I vague. I always vaguely remember a Kotaku article from around the time the game came out, like lambasting the filter. But I think it's been lost to the the waves mm. of internet time because I've never been able to find it again. But it was just yeah. so ridiculously picky. So you'd be having a great conversation, and then it would look like you just decided to swear at the guy. <laughs> that was uh, you had a target on your back. From and the all you were trying to say was congratulations. That's absolutely hilarious. I don't yeah. think I ever played that game online because. Basically, what what ended up happening is I played Daytona 2001, and then where I lived, uh, because America is in some places so incredibly backwards, we didn't get uh, we didn't get broadband internet until about 2009, which is ridiculous because I assume wow. that most people probably had it around 05 or 06. Yeah. So, yeah, we we get it then, and and at that point, Forza Three had just come out. And for a while, I was trying to play Forza 3 with my friend on our dial-up. Uh, so, well, actually, okay, so so it wasn't dial-up until then. Basically, what we had between between about, like, 2004, let's say, and 2009, what we had was one-way high-speed internet, which is basically, like, it's, it's one-way broadband, so downloads were very quick, but uploads were incredibly slow. Yeah. So what we realized we could do is if we were in races with um, a small enough group of players, it wouldn't the lag wouldn't be too bad, and our our infrastructures could handle it. 
because my friend and I who played these games lived right down the street from each other and we, we were using the same internet. So if there was any more than like, say, four other people in the race, we had to back out of that lobby. And it was it was really frustrating, but also hilarious because we'd chance it sometimes like, oh, this race is about to start. Can we do it? I think we can do it. And then we go on, you know, there'd be like 10 cars and then it'd just be absolute mayhem and people would be swearing at us. So that was pretty much I before Forza 3, I also played some PGR 3 online that way, but it was very limited. I couldn't do it very often because because of the nature of our Internet. And then 2009 rolls around. We actually get true broadband and it unlocked Forza 3 and and the proper Internet to play that game online unlocked a world of, of just possibilities and fun for me that I never expected. I mean, yeah. A couple friends, people I don't talk to anymore, probably like a year after that game came out. But for the time I was playing it, I met people. We raced online together. We kind of had our little crew. We shared like tuning setups and stuff. We talked about these things. And it was just, it was a great community. It was the kind of thing that like is like the online gaming ideal that I've I've never really experienced elsewhere. But I did with Forza 3 and, and it was a blast. I think that is one of the reasons why certain games will stick in our <clears throat> online racing history minds. It's that sense of community that you got from um, driving with familiar faces or hosting kind of close lobbies. I mean, it didn't sound as if uh, you had much of a choice in terms of how many drivers could be in yours, but right. like it's experiences like that that stick out more than the kind of general racing ones, I think. Yeah, it's more about what happens off the track, and, and I feel like for me that's what it comes back to a lot when i talk about racing games is that you know the the gameplay experience is great no one's going to argue about the importance of physics or the proper frame rate or all of that but it's for me it's also connecting to other people that enjoy what you enjoy and being able to talk about it whether it's having a decade online experience like that or like growing up going to gt planet and having conversations with people you know, it's central to to any genre that you enjoy, whether it's racing or anything else. And Forza Three was the first time where I was actually able to experience that in the game, and and it was great. I mean, after that, uh, I played some PGR Four online. My friend and I loved the British Bulldog event in that game, the where it was just basically tag and. But it was tag across the entire city, like because PGR4 had something like four or five cities in it, and you could basically play tag around the entire open world of a city in that game. Sounds fantastic. It was so much fun. Oh my god, we would we would do go around like Macau, which was an amazing city that that game had, and just launch ourselves off of because there are ridiculous cliffs and jumps in that place, you know, in real life. And I remember. One time I was coming out of a tunnel that kind of like, best way to describe it would be like it was this like main road in Macau, this main highway, and then for whatever reason the middle of it just dips down into this brief tunnel, and like, so so you have like a very sharp drop down, and then like you know it's kind of like below the surface, and then there's another equally sharp jump back up until back onto the main road that you were previously driving on. And what happened was I was in something very fast and my friend was in a Mercedes CLK GTR, which if you know that car has a very, it, it's front end is basically a ramp. And what happened was he showed up at the, the going up part of that, of that tunnel. He showed up at just the proper angle to the point where when I hit the top of that of that slant of that uh gradient 
his cars, the front of it, perfectly lined up with it, <laughs> and he launched me into the air, and I don't think I ever came down. Wow. That is that is incredible. <laughs> and this was all during a game of tag. It was it was just a blast. And a lot of uh, a lot of the Xbox games at that point really prioritized online play. I think they were they, they beat Sony to the punch on that and we had the blast playing those games. It does sound like great fun. Funnily enough it reminds me of another driving game. It wasn't necessarily about racing, but a GTI Club Plus. Yes. by Konami mm-hmm. and yeah just the bomb tag in that game was phenomenal and that was another really great online experience that had this really funny integration with the PlayStation Eye so you could um, basically set up like four predetermined photos it was like when you overtake someone you have a daft photo <laughs> uh, when you get overtaken you could have a stupid photo when you pass the bomb <laughs> you get the idea yeah. and you would always find people online who were just like pushing the boundaries of what was acceptable and it was just such a laugh it was, it was a great little game and it's one of those one of those little experiences I think is missing from this generation that might have left behind just a, a silly fun driving game that, that is about mini games rather than actually the kind of uber clean racing that we all love as well when GTI Club Plus showed up on the PlayStation Network, I was astounded because I had never heard of that game before. And I, I, I've I, been following racing games my entire life, and when there's especially an arcade racer that I haven't heard of before, I just I lose <laughs> it. So, you know, one day I'm on the PSN, and I see this game, and I'm like, what the hell is this? And it's, and it's developed by Konami? Like, I have no idea. So, you know, I, I was playing it, and I was like, this is very strange. This is a very weird game. But it was fun, and it was only after that that I discovered that, no, GTI Club uh, came out in the 90s and was Konami's arcade racer, yeah. and, and you can go on YouTube and watch old clips of it. It looks absolutely astonishing. It, it, it looks like, you know, a goofier version of Rage Racer, but with, you know, small small French and Italian hatchbacks and stuff, uh, and the handling is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think I ever did any online racing on it, but it's a, it's a very unique game, and you've made me really want to see if I can go back on the PlayStation Network and see if I can download it. I don't think I can, because I'm, sh- I'm sure those licenses have ran out for Konami. Yeah, unfortunately. But, I mean, we could use some unscrupulous methods um, of you getting a hold of somebody who has the game so you can download it. I wonder if something like that could happen. <laughs> Wait, did they have a, we'll have they, to look into did that. They, did they have a box um, copy for that? Or You're talking about other unscrupulous methods. Okay, we'll just move on then. <laughs> anyway. So, GTI Club was definitely a lot of fun. I would, I would love for an experience like that again. Oh, definitely. And it actually goes off of what we were talking about last week with Burnout, or two weeks ago with Burnout Paradise possibly getting a remaster, which sadly we still have heard nothing about, which kind of is a little worrying. But that game came out at a time where I, I didn't quite... It was like a couple months before I got that that improved internet service, so I couldn't play it online right. properly. And that was really difficult, you know, because most of the the draw with that game is the online play and it had a fantastic um gameplay experience online and i was never really able to get into it oh that's a shame one of the best parts of the game as well yeah yeah they put a lot of work into it for sure so yeah that's a pretty good roundup i think of our histories and i guess if we just wanted to touch on the stuff that we play online now for me really it's just gt sport i've been putting a lot of time into playing gt sport online and uh 
I didn't think that I would enjoy the sport mode as much as I have. But I found that when you have a very simple, uh, I guess a very simple format for the lobby, and it's like you have three different races every day. They're always, you know, within 20 minutes or 15 minutes of each other, so you can easily jump in. You never have to worry about not getting a, a deep enough lobby, because that's something that I constantly ran into at Forza, is that, like, I, there are times where I want to go on, and you'd only have three or four people in these in these ranked lobbies, yeah. and it just it wouldn't work. So that's not something that you have an issue with, with in GT Sport. And, yeah, I do want to see a little bit more variation with the events. Like, I was talking to my friend about, like, multi-class racing would be great. Uh, endurance, endurance racing that really made you more um, may prioritize better use of the fuel mapping and tire changes and stuff like that would be would be preferred. But that's something that they can always add going forward down the line. Yeah, I think um, Polyphony's idea seems to be over time events will become more difficult because if you compare it to what we have now to what we had in the first few weeks. There's definitely been an increase in events that prioritise either fuel or tyres. You very rarely get a race that makes you manage both. Yeah. But um, I think GT Sport is also my de facto racing platform purely because of how easy it is to use, like you were saying. I mean, the only other racing game that I really play online is Mario Kart 8, funnily enough. (laughs) And the reason I love that is because it is so simple to just jump into a race. And it's something that sim racing games in particular seem um, apprehensive to adapt. Just some sort of quick way of getting into a match. And I was happy to see in this year's Forza, or sorry, 2017's Forza, that they have these um, events that you can just kind of drop into and race. But because it isn't regulated, it's an absolute crapshoot, basically. (laughs) But like GT Sport, it's pretty much the perfect storm for what it was going to take to get me into online racing. It's simple, it's fast, and there's some regulatory stuff in there so that you've got your sportsmanship rating, your driver rating. And I know it isn't perfect, but it, it makes such a difference. If you play any other racing game, you instantly see the type of community that GT Sport has compared to its competitors. Yeah, and I think it's I think they've really stumbled. I don't want to say stumbled. They, they deliberately did it. They found a good formula for this, and... Gran Turismo has had a weird path to online racing. You know, we never really got the GT4 online that was supposed to kind of usher yeah. in the online racing experience uh, for that franchise. They got it in Asia, but but we didn't get it in other parts of the world. So most of us, I think, our first experiences with Gran Turismo online came from GT5 Prologue, which was as bare bones an experience as you can imagine because it did have those, um, it did have those like couple different races every day, but there was no. That game was more limited than GT Sport. I think what a lot of people call GT Sport kind of like a GT7 Prologue, they forget exactly how small Prologue was. Yeah, you didn't have yeah. many cars. There was no nothing in the way of endurance racing and managing tires and fuel. Like it was a really limited experience. And also the net code wasn't fantastic and uh, PlayStation Network back then was just absolutely a mess. Oh yeah. So but but it was a way to get into it. And I think with with GT5 and GT6, uh, surprisingly, I, I feel like they they gave us a ton of options for uh, you know for the online experience, both on and off the track that that no one was really expecting. You know, the ability to upload certain cars so that people can drive and and you know kind of make your space in the game and have a B spec driver online and and they they actually did it properly and it it worked very well but i think GT Sport is the first time they did it in such a way that it was easy to just jump into exactly. and have fun with yeah 
And as much as I enjoy sport mode, the other thing I'll say is that the most fun I've had online is going online with two of my friends who I actually live with. So it's it's great that we have these races and then we're, we're screaming at each other from across the apartment. <laughs> yeah. But going online and we'll do these 30-minute, 40-minute endurance races, fuel on, tires on, uh, you know, we'll do group three, we'll do group one, group four, and it's it's a blast. You know, not really knowing how the stints are going to shake up, not really knowing who's on what map or what tires they're using. It's the type of racing I love because it doesn't just prioritize out-and-out speed and fastest laps. It prioritizes consistency and strategy. And for me, that is everything I look for in in racing online. A short endurance race where where those factors still come into play, there's nothing more fun than that for me. Yeah, and it's good that even for as simple as GT Sport is, it's still got a plethora of options. Not quite the, the Pandora's box of GT5 that had just so many elements it was like built upon a Facebook mini essentially and they, they really did give you as many options as they possibly could um, like, like you said hosting the cars and stuff and although sport streamlines a lot of those aspects it's hard to deny like the, the whole online experience is so seamless that I feel silly for even doubting that Polyphony was, would be able to pull off what they have done yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to predict. When anytime you see a developer's like, we're gonna completely upend our model and our established, you know, way of doing things, you always get a little hesitant. But, but they've done it. They've done it properly. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And uh, I should say that before GT Sport, also had a lot of fun Drive Club. I think Drive Club. One day we'll talk about Drive Club, and I will I will make everyone feel bad if they didn't play it from the beginning because it's such a great game that oh, I don't yeah, think that... got a fair shot. Drive Club could be a topic in itself between the two of us, I think. Um, we've got <sighs> a lot to say on it. And one of the, just to briefly bring it back to online racing, I love yeah. the fact that you could party up like the way you can do in most first-person shooters. Absolutely. I think that's something that I would love in Gran Turismo Sport. I know why they don't do it for the sport stuff, but even just traveling as a party into other lobbies and stuff would be cool, much like Drive Club allowed. Unranked sport races would be great. If yeah. they did that and we could party up, it would it would really be, I think, the last thing that that game needs. Because Drive Club launched and obviously had had issues, definitely. It's a multiplayer-focused game where the multiplayer wasn't functioning for a good month <laughs> or something. That's going to be a problem, not denying yeah. that at all. But once they got it in stride, once they fixed those problems, it was, it was a sublime experience. And I had never, I don't know, I mean, there was Forza Horizon, there was the crew, there were other arcade racers, and the arcade racers are prioritized online, but none that were that, in my opinion, none that were that solid and that much fun to drive, none, none with that, that core gameplay experience that any game needs, regardless of whether you're doing most of your racing against our people or against the AI, yep. and Drive Club was just a revelation. Being able to do those club events, and then also, like, you know... Uh, the challenges and the auto log style system that they had was great and I hope that whatever Evolution Studios does next with Onrush um, I mean they're now Codemasters but I hope that they uh, they carry that on yeah I think it says a lot when there's so many people who are interested in Onrush purely because of the team behind Drive Club and I think that that just shows how much of a good job they did. And although it didn't end quite as well as I'm sure they would have hoped, I think Drive Club will re- remain for many the definitive racing experience on PlayStation 4. 
by the end of its life cycle purely because of just how well it nailed all its aspects and the, the end up. And the only kind of threat, the only threat to that throne, of course, will be GT Sport and how that develops from here because it's got a fantastic base to work with. And I'm really intrigued to see what the future holds, especially online for GT. Yeah, and I guess the the last thing that I wanted to talk about as we kind of run to a closing minutes of this show is there's so much focus on esports today, and one of the first things you knew about Gran Turismo Sport was that it would have this kind of FIA system that they still haven't really rolled out yet. But I don't know. Have have you always or have you ever been really concerned with the whole esports thing? Because it's something that like I just it doesn't get me excited. It, I find it kind of hard to relate to, and although I appreciate people who can go online and, and compete at that high level, never something I aspired to do, but it is nevertheless very popular, which is why in the same year that we heard about Gran Turismo getting an eSports you know, application in it, Forza announced the racing championship, and Project Cars had their eSports yeah. thing, and, and every game now. I think I've got a very... Um love-hate relationship with esports. I mean, initially, right up until about even last year, I just didn't really see the point in it. It didn't interest me. Um, the, the actual appeal to esports from outsiders just isn't really there for most games. And all the barriers to getting it in that format and actually raising prize money just seemed like it was a waste of resources. But I actually started watching the Rocket League Championship series now, I think Rocket League's the exception to the rule purely because of how much of a, a masterstroke it is. You're basically combining the fundamentals of real sport with cars, so people can instantly know what's happening. And it's exciting, and it's a five-minute matches. And I, I, I will be totally honest, I watched every single weekend of competition right up until the final last year. The first <laughs> time that I'd ever watched any esports, because it was that good. Wow. Now... The reason that I pointed out esports is the exception to the rule in my case is that if you look at something on the other side of the spectrum, like Overwatch League, where this is for Overwatch players and as a spectator sport, it isn't, in my opinion. Anyway, I feel as if racing kind of falls in between those two extremes where most people think real racing is boring. So <laughs> the idea yeah. of watching an hour and a half of digital racing just isn't going to appeal to a lot of people. Yeah, I understand that. And I think racing, is, the genre is in a weird place when it comes to esports as well, because I think for something to be successful from an esports standpoint, it needs to be something that you can't possibly do in real life. It needs to be exactly. so yeah. its own thing. And so because what we're looking for in sport in any sort of competition, I think, is that authenticity, that whatever is being done is like something that only the most elite players or group of people can do. And when you see people flying around in Rocket League championship matches and stuff, never touching the ground, it's astonishing if you've ever played that game or tried to play it for a couple hours and given yeah. up. Because it's... I mean, I've, I've played the game since it came out, and I still can't fly properly. <laughs> so it, it really is special when you see that. But I think when it comes to racing games, it, it just always ends up being this thing is like, well, why wouldn't I just watch real racing? Exactly. Or why would, you know, it's so close. It's so strange because I, I think more than any other genre, if we really try and think about it, it is the most like the thing it's trying to emulate in terms of any sports genre. You know, when you play a football game, 
you're using a controller. You're not using your feet, and you're yeah. not using you know. When you play basketball, you're not actually shooting anything. When you, but it's it, it sounds obvious when I put it that way. But at the same time, I think it's something to be aware of that like when people have their sim rigs and they have their their thrustmasters or their Logitech G29s or whatever, and they're they're all set to go and they make their little little makeshift cockpit like that. That is pretty close in terms of a digital experience, pretty close to what you can experience in the real life. You're obviously not moving, but you're still playing with those same interfaces. Yeah. And I think for that reason, it, it actually harms the the ability for esports to catch on with racing because why wouldn't you just go out and do it? I think is probably the layman's, you know, the, the, the regular person's interpretation of that. Yep. I mean, it's not a popular answer, but I do agree. I feel like an esport shouldn't necessarily be a simulation of something that already exists because the sense of the the sense of disbelief just disappears really um and then it's the complexity of esports that also kills it in various ways like rocket league as simple as it gets so even regular spectators can understand it and the thing is a lot of regular spectators can understand racing esports as well but like you said it's more of a case of why would I watch this? And even Polyphony may have acknowledged that in the sense that any pre-release events or like two lap races or three lap races that they weren't pushing it to the real racing standards because whilst it's good for the competitors, I just don't see the excitement value of watching a, an endurance race <laughs> in a game like Gran Turismo and that that is a shame because there's a lot riding on this FIA sponsorship and all that stuff but I just don't think the general public is going to find it that exciting when it does actually try and make its push as a spectator sport it worries me when Kaz mentions you know that he doesn't think that the future of racing is in actual racing of cars in the real world you know he thinks it's in (laughs) games because you know whether we left with is automotive enthusiasts as racing enthusiasts it's racing is an expensive sport it, it's it's a very it's a sport that you really have to commit to for a fan base that honestly worldwide is not anywhere near what you get from from other established sports so it's always been weird it's always been kind of impenetrable for the average person and I think it's only natural that it becomes kind of impenetrable in terms of esports as well. But I, I am waiting for that that one racing game where I really, I watch those like top level competitions and those top tier competitions. I think it also kind of has come back to bite Polyphony and, and these other developers in as much as like they spent so much time validating esports as a way to make you know gamers into real racing drivers that they've shot themselves (laughs) in the foot now for trying to make the the gaming itself the digital experience as interesting as you know the real life competitive experience of of actual racing it's almost like a reverse step yeah it's it's they're they're trying to flip it around and and now make this the exciting part of the spectrum where like before it was about G- GT Academy was just about like oh Gran Turismo is is a helpful stepping stone to to learning how to do these things in the real world, but you know yeah. that's what it's good for. The racing on in the game is not inherently interesting as much as where it's going to lead these uh, young men and women in the future. But yep, that is racing. That's always the way it's been. Exactly. And just a, a small side point before we wrap up, mm-hmm. like. 
there's a mentality referred to over here as the your da mentality, <laughs> um, which is basically like anything new that involves the digital age is automatically slammed down. So like if Formula One make a post about the esports series, you'll bet that there'll be some 44 year old from Sussex or something <laughs> responding saying like, this isn't real racing, get this kid on the track and stuff. And like that is a, although it's funny, it's a, it's a real mentality like that a lot of people are just so apprehensive about accepting esports as a, a medium in general. and. Obviously, the, the biggest champions of are the guys who are the best at the games, unsurprisingly, because there's a real opportunity for them there. But in terms of, I don't think that the it will ever get that mainstream appeal. But if they even manage to capture like fifteen percent of the, the gamer audience, then I guess it's a successful venture. I mean, it seems like at this point they have to capture people like us. You know, they have to capture people who already play these games and who already care, but but don't so much see the value in the esports side of things, and that might be the main, you know, struggle going forward. Yeah, agreed. Right. So that's pretty much our second show in the bag. Uh, before we uh, wrap up, I just wanted us to quickly, you know since we're relatively unknowns and we have maybe five listeners at this point, just <laughs> say who we are and what we do. So, uh, again, I'm Adam Ismail. You can find me contributing to GT Planet uh, regularly and as well as if you are into technology. I write for a website called Tom's Guide, and uh, Mobile World Congress is coming up soon, and I'm going to be over in Barcelona testing all sorts of crazy phones. So that's what I do. My Twitter handle is Pioneer Spine, which... Is, is spelled the way you would think, although a lot of people ask me if it's Pioneer's Pine or Pioneer Spine. <laughs> and, I mean, if you if it helps you to prefer it to, 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 to pronounce it as Pioneer's Pine, then by all means, go for it. And um, you can find me on Twitter at BrendWings. Um, it's the, the first part of my name, really, then Wings at the end. And you can also find some of my content over at uh, gtplanet.net do quite a lot of news coverage over there the occasional op-ed piece as well but um, I usually write quite a lot of stupid tweets so if you're going to follow me that's just a, a disclaimer <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, if you want to see me screaming into the void about arcade racing games that don't get enough love anymore then you'll, you'll want to follow both of us really yeah exactly that's what we specialize in so, all right, thanks, everyone, and we will see you in two weeks. Cheers, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.